Well, you can, uh, I'm going to have uh, everyone stand up for just a minute here. Moving on here. Check one, two. I don't know if anyone heard, but unfortunately, those teens we've been praying about, those three Jewish teens have been killed. Uh, they found them uh, some time ago, and uh, that has really caused a stir in Israel, obvious for obvious reasons. Uh, things are really starting to fall apart over there. And this is going to be a significant component to that, is that these poor Jewish teenagers, um, they were abducted and they were just, they were murdered outright. So um, the Lord's people are hated. The people don't even realize. They have all this seething hatred for Israel. And that's a product of the evil one. And we're seeing this more and more every day. And so before I even start the sermon today, we're going to do a traditional Orthodox uh, Judaic um, Kaddish, which is just a memorial in, in honor of their lives. So we're going to say this together. Magnified and sanctified be his great name and the world which he created according to his will. May he establish his kingdom during your days and during the life of the whole house of Israel, even swiftly and soon, and say, Amen. Let his name be blessed forever and to all eternity. Blessed, praised, and glorified, exalted, extolled, and honored, magnified and lauded be the name of the Holy One. Blessed is he, though he be high above all blessings and songs, praises, and consolations, which are uttered in the world, and say, Amen. May there be abundant peace from heaven, and life for us, and for all Israel, and say, Amen. May he who makes peace in the high places, make peace for us, and upon all Israel, and say, Amen. You can uh, be seated, please. And everyone can bow their heads. We're going to just pray for these families. Lord Yeshua, we are just, it is such a burden to hear that these, uh, these poor children uh, were abducted. They were taken from their parents, Lord. Um, parents whom you bless these children with. How gut-wrenching. It just, it tears you up inside to hear stories like this. That these poor teenagers, boys, they were going about their way and they were taken and they were murdered. Lord, we pray for the families, for comfort, for shalom, for peace, and their life, for understanding, trying to navigate these waters, trying to understand how something like this could happen to them, Lord. Especially when they're a people that you have brought back into the land. They're a people who have been blessed by you, Lord. I pray that you give those answers, Lord, that more than anything, your son Yeshua is revealed throughout the Orthodox community, throughout all the yeshivas that are in the land of Israel. May they be calling upon the name of Yeshua swiftly and soon. And so we pray these things in the holy name of Yeshua. Amen. Well, we are going to look at a particular story today. This is a story of betrayal. It is a story of self-seeking. Ultimately, this is a story of pride. 
And let me begin by saying this. The alluring nature of pride, this is something that is so intoxicating. It's so alluring. It is so desirable. Your flesh melts at the very idea of it being exalted. Your flesh, it craves applause. It does. It craves the praises of the people. Ultimately, what does your flesh want? If you were to peel it like an onion and get to the innermost core, what does it want? Your flesh wants the glory. That's its nature. That is its desire. It wants the glory. It wants to be esteemed for all the things that it knows. It wants to be praised for all the wisdom it has. It wants to be admired for all the things it has done. Why? Because it wants the glory. And any question in regard to this fact, just go back to the Garden of Eden. And what happened there? What happened with the fall of man? Mankind. Satan, he goes to Eve, and he begins to tempt her through deception. Now keep in mind, this is a component you need to understand about pride, or any sin for that matter. Anyone who's embraced a sin is deceived. So here comes the oppressor, the deceiver. He comes to Eve and says, has God really said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And of course the response is, no, no. We can eat of all the trees of the garden. Only the tree that is in the midst of the garden we cannot eat. Because in the day we eat of it, God has said that we will surely die. Satan's response is, you will not surely die. And then what does he say? Where's the hook? What grabbed her? And then he went out and said, God knows in the day that you eat of it, you will be like God. Elevation. There's the hook. There's the draw. That self-seeking, that elevation to be like God. That unique place. That unique place that he sits on the throne. Well, in our story today, we're going to read about a man who fell into the trap of self-exaltation who fell victim to the sin of pride. And like Eve, we're going to see what happens when this individual gives in to those intense feelings, those strong urges to be self-exalted. So with that said, I want to take you to 1 Kings chapter 1. And we're going to begin in the first verse. And this is what it says. Now King David was old, advanced in years, and they put covers on him, but he could not get warm. What does this tell us? This tells us King David is about to go the way of the earth. He's about to die. They can cover him all he wants. He is not getting warm. He is cold. Therefore his servant said to him, Let a young woman, a virgin, be sought for our lord the king, and let her stand before the king, and let her care for him, and let her lie in your bosom, that our lord the king may be warm. Now just so everyone knows, I will not be advising these things to happen to our older congregants as they, as they come into their time when the men of this congregation get cold. We will rally and pray for you. Okay? <laughs> Verse 3. So they sought for a lovely young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very lovely and she cared for the king and served him. But the king did not know her. Moving on to verse 5. Then Adoniah, the son of Haggith, or in Hebrew, Hagith. Now, I want to be very clear so that you're, not, you're following this. 
Haggith is not a man. This is a woman. Haggith is David's wife, one of his wives, which makes Adoniah what? His son, okay? So this Adoniah, this is David's son. Then Adoniah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen, 50 men, to run before him. This is so fascinating. Here, Adoniah, he sees that David, he's about to die, and he takes this, he seizes the opportunity to embrace that which he coveted. What did he want? He wanted the throne. He wanted the glory. This is what he desired. So what's he do? Well, the text tells us he exalted himself. Notice it doesn't say, and the Lord came and exalted him. It says he exalted himself, and so much so that he prepares for himself. This isn't the Lord sending out chariots and horsemen, 50 men to run before him. It is himself. We already see we have some serious problems. Moving on to verse 6. And his father had not rebuked him at any time by saying, why have you done so? Not to belabor the point so you're not pondering why David didn't rebuke him. We're going to find out later on in the story, David didn't know. All right? That's why he didn't rebuke him. He was also very good looking. Obviously, he probably thinks this is going to help his chances in uh, becoming king, making himself, exalting himself. His mother had borne him after Absalom. A little background, a little historical background. You know the war that existed between David and Saul. And according to Scripture, it was a very long war. Well, David, in the midst of this war, he was reigning. He was ruling in Hebron. And Scripture tells us for seven, over seven years, David reigned in Hebron. 33 years, he reigned in Jerusalem or Yerushalayim. Well, while he was at war with Saul in this long war, while he was reigning in Hebron, he was born to, or born to him were six sons. The third son was Absalom. The next one, the fourth son born to him, all by different wives. Fourth son was Adoniah. Okay, just to give you a little context here. Moving on to verse 7. Then he conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruah, and with Abathar, the priest, and they followed and helped Adoniah. This is interesting because here you see what Adoniah is doing. He starts to play a little political chess here to ensure his ascent to the throne is not impeded, to ensure that it is successful. And how does he do it? By conspiring with the top men of the day. Joab, he was not insignificant. He wasn't a captain or a colonel or a sergeant. Joab was the commander over all the armies of Israel. Think of it as like a five-star general. He's one of the most powerful men in all of Israel. And this is who Adoniah goes to. He goes to Joab. The other guy mentioned here that he goes to is Abathar the priest. This guy literally bore the Ark of the Covenant. He was one of the guys that bore the Ark of the Covenant. You need to understand, these are some of the most influential and revered men in all the land. I mean, these would have been men that behind closed doors, the children of Israel would have been talking about. These are these kind of men, men of renown. Now, we're told here in verse 7 something very important about these two men. All right? 
these two men, Abathar and Joab, were told here, and I'll underline it, they followed and helped Adoniah. They followed and helped him. Helped him what? Help him ascend to the throne. They actually were willing participants to help him accomplish his self-seeking desires. However, as we continue, we're going to see, well, not everyone went along with this plan. We go on to verse 8. And we read, But Zadok the priest, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, Nathan the prophet, Shimei, or Shimei in Hebrew, and, and Re'i, and the mighty men who belonged to David were not with Adoniah. So here we see some very key integral players within David's kingdom. They did not go along with Adonai's plan to exalt himself or Adonai's plan to ascend to the throne. We move to verse 9. And Adonai sacrificed sheep and oxen and fattened cattle by the stone of Zehelet, which is by Enrogel. He also invited his brothers, the king's sons. Okay, you catch that? He invited his brothers, the king's sons, and all the men of Judah, the king's servants. But he did not invite Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. So here we see Adonai decides to throw himself this beautiful royal coronation, the coronation of the king, in honor of himself, of course. However, it's evident that something is a little off here because there were some key individuals who were not part, uh, who were not invited, who were very important in David's administration. Men who themselves, like Joab and, and Abathar, they were men of renown as well. And you need to understand, this is an important piece of the puzzle in regard to understanding whether or not this man, Adoniah, is doing right in the sight of the Lord or whether he is doing evil, whether he's doing wickedness. And we move on to verse 11. So Nathan spoke to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, saying, Have you not heard that Adonai, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David, our Lord, does not know it? Well, this is interesting. All of a sudden, the story goes to the right here, and we hear this. Nathan the prophet is approaching Bathsheba. Why does Nathan approach Bathsheba? What does this tell us? This gives us an important piece of the puzzle. It tells us Nathan knows who the rightful heir to the throne is. Furthermore, this tells us it's not a secret. Solomon was known to be the rightful heir to the throne. That was his position to be given by him, uh, to him by God. That was his. And so we see this clear, crystal clear here. This is why Nathan goes to Bathsheba. So Nathan, he proceeds to counsel her in regard to what's happening. And this is, this is what takes place in verse 12. Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. And it's interesting... <laughs> He recognizes the danger that is at play here. Adoniah becomes king, and this is where I'm going with this, to show you that there's no question that the people, definitely within the royal court, they know who the heir is. Why would Solomon's life be in jeopardy by Adoniah? Unless, in fact, Adoniah didn't know. He does know. Adoniah knows who the rightful heir is, and yet he is still doing this. Important for you to see this. 
Come, please, let me now give you advice that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go immediately to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord, O king, swear to your maidservant, saying, Surely your son Solomon shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. Why then has Adoniah become king? Moving on to verse 14. Then while you are still talking there with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. What is Nathan setting up here? It's brilliant. The testimony of two. Here the king is going to be sitting, and he is going to hear the testimony of two. They're going to be identical. You think about all the times throughout Scripture, the Lord establishes his word, his judgments on the testimony of two. Uh, Joseph, the, the, the Pharaoh receiving the dream twice because the thing has been established by God. So Bathsheba, in verse 15, so Bathsheba went into the chamber to the king. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was serving the king. In verse 16, and Bathsheba bowed and did homage to the king. Then the king said, what is your wish? Then she said to him, my lord, you swore by the Lord your God to your maidservant, saying, Assuredly, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. So now look, Adoniah has become king. And now, my lord, the king, you did not know about it. He has sacrificed oxen and fattened the cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the sons of the king, Abathar the priest and Joab, the commander of the army. But Solomon, your servant, he has not invited. Verse 20, as for you, my lord, O king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, that you should tell them who will sit on the throne of my lord, the king, after him. Otherwise, it will happen when my lord, the king, rests with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted as offenders. Of course, because he knows who the rightful heir is. And just then, while she was still talking with the king, Nathan the prophet also came in. So they told the king, saying, here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my lord, O king, have you said, Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Verse 25. <coughs> Excuse me. For he has gone down today and has sacrificed oxen and fatted cattle and sheep in abundance and has invited all the king's sons and the commanders of the army, and Abathar the priest, and look, they are eating and drinking before him, and they say, long live King Adoniah. In other words, they're already saying this. What does this tell us? The coronation's already taken place. The people are now crying out, long live the king. Long live King Adoniah. So in Adoniah's eyes, make no mistake, he is king. In the people's eyes, or many of the people's eyes, he is king. We go on to verse 26. But he has not invited me, your servant, nor Zadok the priest. Now, interestingly enough, the person that bore the ark with the Lord, uh, with Abathar, remember Abathar was the one who defected to Adoniah. The other guy carrying the ark of the Lord with him was, in fact, Zadok the priest. So you see a division happening here. Nor Benaniah the son of Jehoiada, nor your servant Solomon. Has this thing, this is so interesting how 
Nathan does this so gently, knowing the answer, but asking rhetorically, has this thing been done by my lord the king? And you have not told your servant who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? It's just interesting how he poses this. He knows the answer. And you can see behind all of this, here Nathan, you know, Nathan the prophet, he's moving in wisdom and all these things to make this happen, showing this testimony too. But ultimately, what we see is the Lord in the backdrop. This has all been ordained and organized by God. We'll see this more and more. But what I want you to really see at this point in this story, what is so fascinating to me about what is taking place, is that as we see Adonijah scheming and plotting to exalt himself in the sight of all the peoples, to put himself in that special place that the Lord has reserved for another, we find that as he's conspiring and relishing in his own self-exaltation, what do we see happening simultaneously? The exact same time this is going on with his scheming and plotting, the Lord begins plotting against him. The Lord begins scheming against Adonai. And I want you to think about that for a second. Because if you think for one moment that you're going to get away with exalting yourself, if you think you're going to get away with being proud, taking pleasure in your pride, so that you can be glorified in the sight of the peoples to receive their praise, you better think again. Because in your scheming and plotting to do so, you better believe the Lord is going to move against you. And that's a scary thought, amen? Consider the following passages. Proverbs 11:2. When pride comes, then comes shame, but with the humble is wisdom. In other words, this is Scripture telling you, listen, when you see pride, it would be like a horse that was, that, was, that was drawing a carriage, and the horse is breaking around the corner. I see the horse. I know what's coming. The carriage is coming. The Bible tells you that when you see pride, whether it's in man or woman, when you see it, no shame is going to follow. You know it. It's coming. When we see pride, there's something that's coming right after. It's going to follow it. Make no mistake, it's going to happen. There will come shame. It's bound to happen. It's a biblical truth. It's a biblical principle. Proverbs 16, verse 5. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. Fascinating. In our story, are there men joining forces? Yes, they're joining with Adoniah. You have Joab and Abathar and the rest who are not mentioned. They have joined forces. According to Scripture, it tells me none will go unpunished. I don't need to finish the rest of the story because I already know how it's going to end. It's going to end very, very badly. Because, again, going back to the scriptural principles, gonna be, there's going to be judgment. They are going to pay for this. We go to Proverbs 25, verse 27. It is not good to eat much honey. So too, see, uh, so too uh, seeks one's own glory is not glory. To seek one's own glory is not glory. And we move to the words of Yeshua. Luke chapter 14. For whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, this is the expectation that awaits all those who embrace pride. 
to embrace self-exaltation. They want to receive the glory. This is what they can expect. God will intervene. He will move against you, and he will bring you low. Very humiliating scenario. Great shame will be brought upon you. Unfortunately, in our story, Adoniah has done just this. And there is only one expectation for him. There's only one outcome here. And as we continue in the story, we're going to find out what that is. We move on to verse 28. Then King David answered and said, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king took an oath and said, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from every distress, just as I swore to you by the Lord God of Israel, saying, Assuredly, Solomon your son shall be king after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, so I certainly will do this day. Now, as the story continues, you're going to find David actually sends out his men, Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, to go and anoint King Solomon, at which point we're going to pick it up in verse 39, and we read the following. Then Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon, and they blew the horn, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. And all the people went up after him, and the people played the flutes and rejoiced with great joy, so that the earth seemed to split with their sound. Verse 41. Now Adonai and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished eating. And when Joab heard the sound of the horn, he said, Why is this city in such a noisy uproar? While he was still speaking, there came Jonathan, the son of Abathar the priest, and Adonai said to him, Come in. For you are a prominent man, and bring good news. Verse 43. Then Jonathan answered and said to Adoniah, No, our Lord, King David, has made Solomon king. The king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, uh, the, Cher- the Cherethites, the Pelethites. Benaiah was actually the captain over these two groups. And they made him ride on the king's mule. In verse 45, so Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon, um, and they have gone up from there rejoicing so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard, and Solomon sits on the throne of the kingdom. Dropping down to verse 49, this is the response. So all the guests who were with Adoniah were afraid and arose And each one went his way. Now Adoniah was afraid of Solomon, so he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. He was hoping that his life would be spared. He's grabbing hold of the the horns of the altar. So all of Adonai's scheming, his plotting to exalt himself, literally came crashing down in a blink of an eye. This is what you need to understand about the path of self-exaltation. When you embrace the sin of pride, though you, you may think that you're going to receive glory and honor, you may think you might receive the praises of the people, and maybe you do for a time. Maybe you actually do receive those for a time, but know this, there's only one expectation ahead of you. Rather than receiving honor and praises, you're going to receive shame and condemnation. That's the biblical promise. The biblical promise is all who exalt themselves will be humbled, 
Proverbs 11.2, going back, when pride comes, then comes shame. Psalm 127, it actually says, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. In other words, you try to go outside of God's plan, out of, outside of God's will for your life, it is going to be you establishing the house. And make no mistake, it will fall. It's only a matter of time. When the storms come, it will fall. But if we're walking in the will of God, we're doing those things that he commanded us, and we are in his righteousness, and we are walking in humility, then he is the one who will build the house. And no matter what happens to us, we will never fall. And that's encouraging. Amen? You know, stories like this should strike the fear of God. I mean, this is the whole point of why I even bring the story up. It should be striking the fear of God into your hearts. We need to heed these warnings, all these examples. Again, how many times have I said, these aren't just stories. These are life applications that need to be applied to our lives. And they're warnings. There's mercy and grace in these stories warning us. Hey, you partake in this, this is what you can expect. And getting back to our story, moving on to verse 51. And it was told Solomon, saying, Indeed, Adonai is afraid of King Solomon. For look, he has taken hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me today that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. Then Solomon said, If he proves himself a worthy man, not one hair of him shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. Verse 53. So King Solomon sent them to bring him down from the altar, and he came and fell down before King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, go to your house. Ah, okay. So at this point, Solomon, he lets Adonijah go. Everything seems to be just fine. Unfortunately, it's not the end of the story. Moving on into chapter 2, we actually read that King David, he moves on. He dies. And Solomon, he reigns in his place. The kingdom is established. At which point we come to chapter 2, verse 13, and we read this. Now Adoniah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. So she said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably. Moreover, he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, say it. Moving to verse 15. Then he said, you know, this is Adoniah speaking. You know that the kingdom was mine. And all Israel had set their expectations on me, that I should reign. However, the kingdom has been turned over and has become my brother's, for it was his from the Lord. Just listen to the words that Adonijah speaks here. His words are dripping with self-exaltation, still even after he is humbled and brought low. He has the audacity to make the statement that the kingdom was his. It was his. The people have set their sight on him. It's all about me, is what he's saying. It's this wicked heart that he is displaying here that is going to prove to be the death of him because what he proceeds to do here is to ask Bathsheba to petition her son, Shlomo, or King Solomon, to give him Abishag as wife. And that was the young girl that is serving David before he died. See, apparently this is what Adoniah feels is his just due. More of a consolation prize, if you will, in light of the kingdom being taken from him, 
and given over to Solomon, he feels that this is only the right thing to do. So in response, Bathsheba actually agrees to Adonai's request, and she brings this before her son, King Solomon. Listen to how he responds. In verse 23, we read, Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonai has not spoken this word against his own life. Now therefore, as the Lord lives, who has confirmed me and set me on the throne of David my father, and who has established a house for me, as he promised, Adonai shall be put to death today. When we go to verse 25, we find out this is exactly what happened. So King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he struck him down and he died. He was killed, embracing this self-exaltation, something he couldn't let go, that he mourned. Rather than doing the will of God, rather than wanting God's will, remaining on his knees, remaining humble, he ends up consistently showing this heart of pride, of self-exaltation, and it cost him his life. The wages of sin is death. Amen? <coughs> Excuse me. Now, unfortunately, the carnage doesn't end here. So critical you see this. The carnage actually overflows to those who defected to Adonai. You remember Abathar. You remember Joab, right? What happened to them? This is interesting. We go on to verse 26. And to Abathar the priest, the king said, Go to Anathoth, uh, to your fields, and, and, uh, for you are deserving of death. This is Solomon speaking to him. What does he deserve? He deserves death. But I will not put you to death at this time because you carried the ark of the Lord God before my father David and because you were afflicted every time my father was afflicted. Verse 27. So Solomon removed Abathar from being priest to the Lord that he might fulfill the word of the Lord which he spoke concerning the house of Eli at Shiloh. So Abathar is literally stripped of his glory and his honor. The honor and glory that God gave him, he is stripped of everything. Nothing is left. Why? Because he went and followed and helped Adoniah in his pursuit to exalt himself. You think about that. What about Joab? We go and move on to Joab in verse 28. Then the news came to Joab, for Joab had defected to Adoniah. Though he had not defected to Absalom, and we might, we might talk about Absalom next week. So Joab fled to the tabernacle of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. And the same thing Adoniah did. And King Solomon was told, Joab has fled into the tabernacle of the Lord. There he is by the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, go strike him down. And that's exactly what he does. Benaiah goes and kills him. Kills him dead. Kills the main commander, one of the most powerful men in all of Israel. One of the most revered men in all of Israel was brought down. Total humiliation. He was slain. And this brings us back to this Proverbs 16. Everyone proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Though they join forces, none will go unpunished. This proverb is literally, quite literally experienced in the story of Adoniah. Not only the one who exalted himself was judged, but also those who encouraged 
those who supported him in his plot of self-exaltation, they were brought low. They were judged. So not only do we, as believers, have to worry about ourselves, you know, succumbing to this deception, succumbing to pride, putting ourselves in places we were not called to be, exalting ourselves because we want the glory, we want people to look at us. Not only do we have to worry about that, but now i got to worry about, well, am I assisting others in their pursuit? Man, how carefully we have to walk as believers in Yeshua, amen? Wise as serpents, harmless as doves, we need to be. I want to present a component in regard to the sin of pride. This is something that I think is going to help give you some additional perspective to the story we covered today and just how dangerous and vile this sin really is. When the adversary, in other words, Hasatan, Satan, when he fell from heaven, Scripture indicates that there was one particular sin that was responsible for this fall. It was the primary reason Satan fell from heaven. And what is that sin? Well, let me share it with you in Isaiah 14. How you are fallen from heaven, a Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation of the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. My goodness, who does this sound like? It's exactly the course Adoniah had took. It's the exact same course. Adoniah wanted the throne. He desired the glory. That's what he was after. He was after the glory. So who, did, who does Adoniah look like? Who does he resemble? Satan, the evil one, the corrupter. And this is what you need to think about. When someone embraces pride, that someone ends up bearing the very image of what distinguishes Hasatan. You bear that mark. You bear that characteristic. I think when you think of it in those terms, it really helps put the vileness of this sin into context. I mean, when you, when you put it in that context, I don't want to look like Satan. I don't want to look anything like him. I'm supposed to look like Yeshua. The way he walked and talked, that is supposed to be my life, right? But if we're doing things that don't look like Yeshua, well, who do we resemble? I can tell you there's one, Hasatan, Satan. And that kind of brings you back to John chapter 8. Yeshua's having that discourse with the Jews that it, the actual text says who even believed him. Jews that believed him, and he says, you, will, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And they're like, what are you talking about, Yeshua? We've never been in bondage to anyone. We're children of Abraham. And his response is, if you were children of Abraham, you would do the works that Abraham did. They were claiming Abraham as their father. And Yeshua's looking at them and saying, you look, you look nothing like Abraham. You look like your father, the devil. For he was a murderer from the beginning. This frightens me. It should frighten you. You start to self-analyze your characteristics, your personality traits, who do you look like? We've got to ask ourselves these questions. Amen? I want to take you to Isaiah 42 and throw up a roadblock just in case you want to embrace pride, just in case you want the glory, 
you want to be lifted up. Isaiah 42, verse 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. And my glory I will not give to another, nor my praise to carve images. Glory belongs to God and God alone. He is not going to share it. There's only one option for you to be exalted, and that is if the Lord lifts you up. There's no other way. You want to be exalted? Get on your knees. Amen? James imparts this wisdom in James chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. I want you to consider something very important. To embrace humility is to prepare your temple for the indwelling presence of God. We're supposed to be the temples of God under the new covenant, amen? Holy Spirit is supposed to be poured out on us, living in us. This is part of the new covenant for those who have confessed Yeshua as Lord and Savior. Part of the preparation to ensure that the Holy Spirit resides in us is humility. Isaiah 57, verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him. You catch that? He dwells with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. This is who the Lord dwells with. You want to know why the Lord chose Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt to do some of the most awesome wonders this world has ever known? Why would he choose Moses? What characteristic did he need? Because Moses didn't think he was the right man for the job. He wasn't articulate enough. He couldn't speak well either before the Lord spoke to him or after. What was it the Lord wanted from Moses? Why is he the man for the job? Well, Numbers 12 tells us. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Let that sink down. He was more humble than any man on the face of the earth. Follow this to its logical conclusion. Do you want God to do awesome things in your life? Do you want to see miracles? Do you want to see healings? Do you want to see awesome power of God? Wonders that even the angels are talking about. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. It will happen. You will make yourself a useful vessel, a vessel of honor. I want to see wonders. I want to see miracles and healings. This is the way. It's to drop to your knees and humble yourselves in the sight of God. I'm going to close with the following passage from Philippians. Paul tells us, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Nothing, nothing you do, not one iota, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out uh, not for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. In verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Messiah Yeshua. This is who we should resemble. If we don't look like him, we are failing. We are called to walk in his footsteps. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance of man, he humbled. Here's the king of the universe. And we're reading, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. This is your calling. You need to be 
humble. You need to humble yourselves. Follow the example of Messiah Yeshua even to death. This is our calling for all those who confess Yeshua as Lord and Savior. We're going to end here for today. The music team can come back up. If you need prayer for anything, please come up and we will pray for you. Or if you know someone else that needs prayer, we will pray for them. Shabbat shalom.